Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash. Making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last. Because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. Welcome to Escaping Society, episode uh, mile marker 127, which would be episode 127. I'm Gumby. I'm Teresa. And uh, we're both feeling a little bit under the weather today. As I've uh, shared in past episodes, one of the things I've noticed about living mostly outside in a van as opposed to uh, mostly inside in a house, um, we do tend to like feel sick and get under the weather. I'm not sure I'd say more than I did in a house. I tended to have a lot of spells like of you know, just feeling under the weather basically come through when I was in a house. But uh, one difference I've noticed is out here, I very rarely, if ever, uh, seem to get taken down where I'm like in bed all day. Whereas I remember having days like that in the house, knock on wood, I'm not trying to tempt fate here, but uh, it does seem to pass quicker possibly and definitely hit me lighter when I'm feeling under the weather. Yeah, I'd say definitely less sick than having a job and going to work and being around people all stuffed in a building. And also, to be fair, we were just at a house pet sitting. So it's very possible that we were, even though I had the windows open a lot and I I tried to clean any surfaces that might have germs on it, we were in somebody else's house that they had just occupied. So they might have had germs. Yeah. And I guess I'll start off this episode uh, with one thing I want to share. Um News from the van, 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 <laughs> is uh, our dog, Sherlock, has developed a uh, interesting um, talent. Um, <laughs> Aww. If, uh, as you've gotten older, if you're in your 40s like we are, um, you may have noticed that uh, you fart possibly more often and uh, possibly have less control of it. And uh, one of the things that uh, is not talked about much in our culture, but is a thing, is what do you do about that? When you're a little old man hobbling around, there ain't much you can do about it. We all know that old person that just like is talking and right in the middle of talking and they keep talking and they're old. You know, you don't make a big deal of it. You don't want to embarrass them because <laughs> that's where you're headed. <laughs> but um, when you're younger, you've got a little more, a few more options. So there's only so much you can like go outside and, uh, as Teresa called it, crop dust, take a little walk around. Take a lap. Or go in the bathroom tastefully and fart in the bathroom. Um, so you find ways to mask it. Sometimes, you know, if you can, like, kind of gauge how loud the fart's going to be. And I don't know about you, but I can often gauge, like, <laughs> oh, this one's going to be a, this one's going to be a doozy. Sometimes an oozy doozy, and no. those are the bad ones. No. But you can sort sometimes cough, you know, like, <coughs> And, uh, you know, sneak one in there. But our dog, I think, is trying something similar as he's aging. <laughs> we call it farking, um, <laughs> farting and barking. But he will bark and fart at the same time. Now, I don't know if he's actually trying to mask his farts with the barking. If he is, he's failing miserably because the <laughs> fart is often as loud, if not louder sometimes, than the bark, which is impressive. But uh, Or if it's a pressure thing. Yeah, or, I think it's a pressure thing. Yeah. Well, what do you mean by, by Well, that? like you take an inhale to bark and that creates 
a pressure inside of you. Your lungs are increasing their capacity, and that's just pushing things out. So when he finally gets around to making a noise out the front of him, he also makes noises out the back of him at the same time. Yeah, yeah. You might have something there. (laughs) That's a good theory. But uh, the other evening, we were in the van. You know, it's starting to get chilly enough where we're getting back into our winter routine, which uh, often includes, and we really look forward to this, um, the evening gets really cold, and uh, sometimes it's taxing if we've had a hard day. Sometimes it's really nice because you've got a big warm fire um, surrounded by those winter stars. But uh, either way, it's something to look forward to to get in the van, crank up the van to make sure our battery doesn't die. We put on some music. Uh, you know, the van's so nice and dark. We smoke some weed. We relax. But we're in there doing our evening thing, and Sherlock is busily filling up our tiny little enclosed space with his noxious old dog gaseous odors. (laughs) And something ironic occurred to me as I was laying there (laughs) is uh, here we are, I believe, still technically in a global pandemic. You know, something that just sounds as alarming as War of the Worlds. Global pandemic. And I refuse to wear a fucking mask. I can't remember the last time I wore a mask. (laughs) In the early stages, you know, when I thought this was just something you kind of like, you know, compromised with a little bit. I wore it a few times, but no more. So global pandemic, you know, I'm being told people are dying. People are getting sick, et cetera. This is very serious. I'm not wearing a mask. But if I'm around a creature farting, be that creature Teresa (laughs) or Sherlock, I ain't fucking around with that. Diving for cover. Yeah, I will wrap myself in a sleeping bag or blankets and stay in there to the point of nearly suffocating (laughs) not to breathe in the shit molecules of another living creature. So I just realized that about myself and uh, realized that might be a little ironic. I don't know what that says about me, but uh, sometimes it's fun being me. Yeah. But anyway, there's my intro. So, uh, Teresa, what would... what news, what little McNuggets of wisdom would you like to share from the hobo front lines for our dear listeners? Well, I was kind of excited to share this article that I saw on the, my Google spoon-fed news, curated mm, news. This was a good one. Yeah, and I guess probably everyone has seen this headline. You might not have read the article, which is typical these days, so I decided I would read it. Um, just because it was about van life. I didn't see the headline. I've only heard about it through you. Okay, this is Fortune Magazine. It came out October 18th, 2022. And by magazine, I mean online. Hey, Sherlock. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Journalist Chloe Berger, or Berger. Um, The name of the article, or the, the headline is, Van Life is Just Glorified Homelessness says a 33-year-old woman who tried the nomadic lifestyle and ended up broke. (laughs) That was so dramatic. I just, I really needed to get into it. So I, I have some excerpts here, okay? Natasha Scott embarked on van life as a digital nomad, but her experience was nothing like social media told her it would be. Damn that social media. It's not real, y'all. This is the article. It was 3 a.m. and Natasha Scott was lying awake as the rain pounded on the roof of her van. Terrible. Listening to the murmurs of animals outside. The barrier between the world and her bedroom was paper thin. (laughs) Times like these made her feel like, quote, the only person in the world, she tells Fortune. Scott 
33, and based in Atlanta, pinpointed that night as she realized the glamorous van life advertised on social media was just glorified homelessness. <laughs> now, Natasha had bought a non-converted van. A non-converted van, the article says, has no carpeting nor plumbing. And what? she spent $5,000, which is exactly what we spent on our minivan. And ours has carpeting. I mean, I'd argue it has enough carpeting. I think sometimes it has too much. And uh, plumbing, if you count the radiator. Yeah. Does it count as plumbing when I open the door and pee out the side of the van? Yes. Oh, there you go. All right, back to the article. But Scott soon found that the reality of van life wasn't all that sunny. Gas prices were high. It was lonely on the road. And the van often needed repairs. Van life is harder than what it seems like in videos, Scott says. True that. It's harder than I would have ever thought. Honestly. 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 When homeless people, this is my favorite part, actually. (laughs) When homeless people in Atlanta started asking her if she needed help, Scott began to question how she was being seen. Outside of social media, she said, no one saw this as van life. They saw it as homelessness. Yeah, y'all homeless. Yeah, and I guess I wanted to bring up this article um, for a number of reasons, but the reason why Natasha brought this or was, I don't know, she contacted Fortune or somebody saw her on her social media, Natasha felt like van lifers that are social influencers online aren't telling the truth. And I don't want to toot our horn, but I feel like we might be some of the most truthful people. To a fault. <laughs> Listeners, I'm sorry if we are too much truth for you. If there's anything I'm holding back, you just ask. I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, I ask you to hold some things back. but <laughs> I can't. I'm getting old. Yeah. Um, oh, now, something else that's interesting. So, Natasha just basically, um, she's just kind of asking people to be honest. Be more honest about your experience in van life. So it's a shame that she had that experience. Now, I I looked for a little bit more information about Natasha. I actually wanted to see her um, her social media because I would like to hear about her experiences in a little more her words. And what I found was an interview that she did with the, oh, I think it's called the Platus or Platus Foundation. And in the interview... She mentioned, I think, that very same night, the 3 a.m., it was raining outside, but instead of the murmurs of animals, she heard people talking outside. Now, we've had that experience. That can be unsettling. And people can be kind of animals, especially if they're, like, hopped up on drugs or they're delusional or just annoying. Oh, it's really the only animal I'm ever truly afraid of. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I just... I thought it was a shame that, you know, this particular headline got into my news feed, but it also gives us a good platform to just bring it back home that if you're going to try van life, it's probably good to um, dip your toes in a little bit at a time. Like Gumby, you really did a good job of easing me in, you know, we, <laughs> well, we did like, what was it? One night out a week. For a while, and then we increased it to two nights out, and I'm not yeah. sure how I'm far we got. I'm all about incremental change. Whenever I can, like, I have the time to do it, 
I, I'd like to build things up slowly. And sometimes people don't have that luxury. Like um, in Natasha's case, she was getting kicked out of where she lived at. So she just decided instead of trying to find another place to rent that was really, really high, um, she was going to try this van life thing. And it's unfortunate. You know, like I saw one of her uh, TikTok videos, which I'm not on TikTok, but they let you watch, I guess, videos on there. And she was saying that something that's really important that she never thought about or was seasons, like the seasons in the year. And uh, it was it was kind of cute because she was like, you know, winter, that shit is like cold and rainy and it's just gross. And summer, it's like hot and disgusting. <laughs> so, you know, if you're planning, Mountains. yeah, if you're planning on living in a minivan or any sort of van, um, make sure that you have a plan for that. I highly recommend getting a good fan. I don't work for DeWalt. I don't have any money coming in from DeWalt. DeWalt gets my money. Um, at least that one or two times because I had to buy an extra battery because ours got stolen. But getting a good fan that's going to last you at least through the night um, is key. If you're going to be anywhere that it might be rainy and warm, you're going to need a fan. And instead of converting your van and, and spending tens of thousands of dollars, get a fan. Get a fan. It's definitely less than $200 for a good fan. Mine was like a little bit less than 100 on sale, and the battery and the charger came with it. I recommend DeWalt just because that's what we have. Um, but be careful where you plug in your battery because you might get stolen. Um, and something else that she brought up was how much it, it cost to convert the van. Now she bought a van that wasn't really converted or convertible unless she wanted to do it herself. But at that point she wasn't ready, you know? And so she just decided like to train, like change that van in for a different van. And she ended up going broke because she was trying to pay people to do these things. And Gumby, you brought up the other day with anything, it's really like what you're learning and what you're experiencing out of it. It's not about giving someone money. Would you like to comment further on that? I think you're referring to, uh, yeah, we were talking about this and other things about van life, as we often do. <laughs> and um, I was saying how much more satisfying it is to do something yourself. Like, you can you can buy something. Damn, I wish I could remember specifically what this was in reference to. But it's kind of a broad truth, I believe. Um, just anything. Like, you can buy a thing Damn, I almost had what, what, what the reference was. <laughs> but you can buy a thing, and you can get some satisfaction from what you bought. But if you take the time to troubleshoot, to fashion it yourself, to make it, by the time you get there to enjoy that thing, which seems, you know, by just, you know, me mechanistic standards, it should be the same thing. Say, well, what's an example? Cooking your food, a way to cook your food. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you bought a fancy stove with all the canisters and everything. You're cooking your food. Now, maybe you took another path. You, like, learned how to scavenge a can and make a really nice hobo stove, and you're cooking your food. Wait, both people are cooking their food. It should be similar. But I have found, as John Muir pointed out about climbing a mountain, if you take the hard path to get there, by the time you arrive at the destination, you have changed. It's a whole different experience. So that's kind of what you're alluding to, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so... You know, this whole conversion thing, people talk a lot, and uh, I'm on these uh, Facebook van life sites, and I see what people talk about. A lot of people are into getting somebody else to convert their van, to pay for gadgets and gizmos, and really complicate and clutter it up. 
Um, even the people that are being creative, you know, they're spending a lot of money. I don't recommend that. I find a lot more satisfaction in finding out ways to get there yourself. For one thing, it's more peace of mind. If you have to pay for it, there's always the anxiety of what if you run out of money and it breaks. Um, you've got more freedom, more options if you have learned a skill to address whatever need you're trying to address with that. And just the feeling of connection. You are involved in the process. That's reality. You should be involved in the process. This whole uh, simulated reality we live in where <laughs> you just pay people and things just arrive through Amazon. Bling! And there it is. You just turn a little handle, put, push a little button, your food's cooked. That's not real. That's a simulation and it's not sustainable. The direct work you put into having to address a need, even a want, it deepens your connection and is much more satisfying. I agree. And something else that I, like, had we been in contact with Natasha or, you know, she just happened to listen to our podcast, I I know it's different um, to be by yourself in a van. I don't think I would stay in many of the places that Gumby and I stay together, at least not for the length of time. Um, and Natasha also addressed that in her TikTok video was like, make sure that you're safe. Even if you're leaving your van to, to go to a bathroom somewhere, like make sure that people aren't watching you get back into your van because they can call the cops or they could like steal your shit or like grab you. So there are dangers that uh, women are going to have to deal with more than just a, a single man. So I recognize that can be tiresome. And we knew someone else that lived out of her vehicle, not a van. And she just felt like for her, it was, it was too much work to dedicate throughout the day just to be on a survival level. Um, but with two of us, even though that means less space in the van, I feel like we also play off of um, just enjoying life more. You know, we're not in the van all the time. Most of the time we sleep in there. And if it's raining or like snowing or something, we go in there. And even then, sometimes we'll have a different shelter that we don't have to be in the van. So everybody's got their different situations. I would just say, yeah, I agree with Natasha that I wish people would be a little more honest about their experiences. But there are people out there that are honest, including me and Gumby. So that's really all I wanted to say about that. But that was a, yeah, that was something interesting for van lifers. Well, I got several thoughts on this article, and I'm really glad you brought this up because my thoughts are kind of all over the map, which I think is a good thing. You know, it's it's really helpful to look at something from a lot of different vantage points. One is the article itself, the sharing of the article. Um, I find it interesting that this article that was fed to Teresa is an article sort of warning against van life. Um if you have anything to do with van life, van lifers, you know how many people there are that really love it, that promote it. So it's interesting that this was chosen. <laughs> this article was the one that found Teresa, um, which makes me kind of wonder why. You know, are they trying to steer people away from this? Why? Are they less consumers? You say, you look like you got something to say, Teresa. I got something to say. You got something to say? I got something to say. Well, you know, you gave me an idea about looking into who wrote the article and maybe see what else they've written about. And this Chloe Berger or Berger, um, she looks very 
young. Uh, I think she graduated in like 2020. And she's writing for this big magazine, right? Like Fortune. I've heard of that magazine. That's a big magazine. And many of her articles focus on uh, the digital nomads, the uh, the work from home crowd. And generally, I didn't read you know all the articles that she's written, but generally it seems that uh, her perspective in the articles kind of trends toward this is problematic. Now, who or why, like, who is she writing for? Why is she writing in this way? Made me think about this particular article as well, because Natasha was a, quote, digital nomad, and she was trying to make it work on the road, like see beautiful places, drive around, have her, you know, Wi-Fi work, and then be out in nature. Um, But Chloe (laughs) has a knack for kind of making that look really bad. So it's interesting. It's interesting to ponder, like, who, why, um, you know, who's paying her? You know, why would she be promoting this, uh, this viewpoint? Yeah. And I'm going to get, I hopefully I can remember to get back to it looking really bad. Um, but regarding the sharing of the article itself, on the other hand, you know, like you were addressing, why did this article get shared? On the other hand, I'm kind of glad this kind of article gets shared because for (laughs) for every new person that moves into a van and lives like this, that's one less resource. That's another free campsite that is not available for the people already doing it. Mm. So, you know, at first, you know, when you find something good, I think this is part of the, the good part of human nature. When you find something good, part of you, it's a bragging thing. You want to like brag about this thing you found like, oh, look what I, you know. But it's also, I feel like, a uh, maybe an ancient tribal thing that you want to spread good fortune. Look what I discovered how to do. You can do it too. Here's how you do it. I can't wait to tell you how to do this thing. But in this culture, with this world, with limited resources, dwindling resources, getting more and more full of people, is that wise? Mm-hmm. So – on looking at it that way, I would applaud more discouraging van life articles <laughs> because we are seeing sometimes that we go places and like van lifers um, are kind of messing stuff up. Sometimes, sometimes, not all van lifers. I'm not throwing everybody under the bus. So there's that. And then on the personal level, what was the name of this woman who wrote Who was living in her van? Oh, Natasha Scott. Natasha Scott. Okay, our first reaction, I'd say this is probably true for both of us, is to laugh. There's an aspect (laughs) of Natasha Scott's uh, story that is um, laughable, comic, because to me she's not taking responsibility. She's describing van life as if this is what van life is like and doesn't seem to realize this is what her relationship is with van life is like. This is what her perspective on these things is like. For instance, that article you just shared about noises outside in the woods, the thin wall between her and nature, that is actually what some of us are seeking. That's one of the things that other of us, uh, other people would share as highlights of van life. So I feel like Natasha hasn't introspected enough to realize like a lot of her experience had to do with her Mm. not living in a van. On the other hand, she brings up some really good points. For instance, uh, you know, we laughed about her being seen as homeless and this coming as a shock to her. (laughs) 
But I've been on these van life websites, as I've said, these uh, Facebook pages, and they do romanticize it. You know, you picture this nice van parked bafflingly beside this river. Who the fuck knows how they drove there? (laughs) And it's just like, oh, it's so romantic. Look at these open doors facing the sunset. It is, as she said, glorified homelessness. And in some places, it's not even glorified. People will straight up look at you and treat you like you are as homeless as that crazy uh, bag lady singing uh, vulgar songs to herself. (laughs) You shut up. And let me tell you, (laughs) as someone who frequents these Van Life Facebook pages, um, if you haven't joined any of these, I... Uh, invite you to join one just to kind of watch. For one thing, you will see more control on these pages than any other page I've been on. Anarchist pages, any page. People that will shut you down, censor you, uh, kick you off. Um, it's like it's like everybody on there is a little child, and the people that run the page are the parents. That is the strongest feeling I've had of that kind of parental control of any Facebook page I've been on. And I can't just blame them because a lot of the people that live in vans seem to be spending all their time online getting upset about shit and going slowly fucking crazy. Yeah. So in that sense, Natasha is absolutely right. I think there's a lot of people not being honest, first of all, with themselves. I think they're miserable. They are bitter. They're uh, losing their fucking minds, and they're still promoting van life because they want to believe they've done something heroic and adventurous. And it might be bringing them money. We don't know. It might be. I don't know. But again, if it is, I don't see them promoting that. So it's still dishonest. Hmm. She is right to call out people on being more honest about their experiences. It's a hard path. We have a lot of days out here that suck. You know, there are aspects of this that are work, that are challenging. And you don't see pictures of that. You don't see pictures of all the, you know, like hard work and just the person like sitting there, especially if you're by yourself, lonely, nothing to do, feeling like a homeless person. <laughs> that That is part of the reality of this. One of the things that I think helps Teresa and I navigate this and keep this in mind, because if this is not true for you, you will have a different experience if you ever move into a van, is both of us were attracted by and flirted with a pilgrim's path before we even met each other. I'll speak for myself and let you uh, speak for your kind of past take on this, but I was really moved by things like uh David Carradine and Kung Fu, Kwai Chain Kane, the the whole idea, mostly from an Eastern like Buddhist perspective, of giving it all up and just traveling and working on myself, taking on the challenges as a monk. That always appealed to me since I was a little kid and I first ran into the idea. And so that set me up to kind of seek things in a certain way that translate through the van. I'm not saying the van is a pilgrimage. The van got us a little bit closer but also kind of keeps us from going further. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure we'll ever choose to go further. And that's okay. It's just a choice. You know, it's not all about good and bad. But that pilgrim's path that led us to even seek this helps us look for the beautiful, free, simple things that might be harder for other people to find that think they're going on this, like, big vacation adventure and are surprised when it's a lot of work, Mm -hmm. a lot of empty time, a lot of dealing with your own shit. Um (laughs) People didn't sign up for that. We actually, I think, kind of did. And Teresa, yeah. will you speak a little bit about like how you were kind of attracted by the Pilgrim's Path? 
Yeah. Well, I <laughs> I don't know what my life is doing. I'm just kind of here just experiencing it, but uh but yeah, you're absolutely right. I've I've always been fascinated with um simplicity even though I wasn't necessarily doing it on my own and I uh I definitely enjoy seeing the beauty in the simple things. Like this just popped into my head how in the article, Natasha was saying that uh, van life, you usually don't hear about people's eating habits. You better get used to eating just crap junk food from the convenience store because that's what she, that was her experience. Now, we don't eat crap junk food from the convenience store. I mean, sometimes we do, but you know what our experience is? It's like a treat, you know, like either we're We've been out in the woods for two weeks and we want like an ice cold drink in the summer or maybe a, a hot coffee on a cold morning. And so it feels really special to us. You see the difference? It's not a lack. It's something to look forward to. So if you don't have that mindset and you're not in that place, then this life might not be for you. Yeah, it reminds me of a scene I keep bringing up between Teresa and I that we a movie we just just watched and I read the book. Also, it's called I think The Peaceful Warrior, a book that changes lives. But there's a character in it that's uh, plays the part of the teacher, Don Juan, Yoda, you know, and he he's called Socrates in the book. And uh he's getting his student, this uh gymnast who has hurt himself really bad and is like kind of finding these deeper truths and everything. He's getting to follow this really rigid uh path of no sex, no eating, you know, things that aren't vegetarian. I mean, it's really strict in a lot of ways. Then he takes them out one night and he brings out a cigar, starts smoking the cigar, pours them both a drink of bourbon. And uh, the guy's like, what the hell is this? And he's like, it's not the acts that are bad. It's the habit that's Mm. bad. And so that's something I'm, you know, Teresa and I like miss the mark all the time, but I do believe in that truth. And it's something to kind of aim for of, it's not the thing itself that's bad. It's not that we can never do this. It's, can we handle it not becoming a habit? And if so, now and then it can be something good. And haven't you noticed that if you don't have that discipline, that thing that was good, isn't good anymore. If you eat ice cream for dessert every night, are you still really tasting that ice cream? Or are you just emptying that bowl and gobbling it down because it's what you've always done? It gets to be a point where your habits are even painful, unpleasurable if you're actually paying attention. So that's something that, that brings to mind. And I, I just will say this last thing, unless you have something to add. Um, glorified homelessness. I really actually like that because at least it's glorified. Mm-hmm. You know, like I can say, oh, I'm homeless. I don't have a home. I mean, I do have a home in the minivan. Um, but I like that it's glorified because it does feel better than, you know, sleeping on a sidewalk or behind a dumpster or hiding in the wood tree line behind a shopping center. It does feel, it, it, it definitely feels, uh, more ritzy than that. Mm-hmm. Well, you got any extra, uh, any other thoughts on this, uh, topic of that article? Um, not very much. I just written down, and this is going to make it go long, so... That's okay. Um, you remember the movie Nomadland? Oh, yeah. Didn't that just come out, like, a couple of years ago? 
Yeah. And it was that same kind of tone was just like, oh, my God, van life is just like that's where you end up when you, you know, you lose a loved one or you're just migrating for any jobs that you can take. And then you just like come back to your sad van that's just awful, you know. It doesn't have to be that way. I know some people do have that experience, but that doesn't have to be your experience if you're thinking about van life. But you do got to you have to really observe your thoughts and and be realistic. Yeah, one of these van life Facebook pages I mentioned, I was recently in a uh, mixing it up on one of those pages cuz somebody asked, "Boy, I really like Nomadland. I wonder if they're coming out with a sequel." So everyone started sharing opinions about whether they liked the movie or whether they didn't. And, uh, you know, I was kind of – I had a lot of criticisms about the movie. It's a shame that this movie has become kind of the emblematic movie that people that don't live in their vans think this is what van life looks like. She was always working and still had trouble with money. (laughs) Where the hell was her money going? And she didn't laugh much. You know, people were like, oh, she laughed in the movie. I don't know if maybe I missed a, a scene where she did laugh, but her character, for the most part, just kind of sat there with this sort of melancholy grin on her face, you know, like a woman that's had a really hard life. And it didn't look like our van life. And uh, But on the other hand, like I said, you know, if it's discouraging, that could be a good thing. But, you know, on this Facebook page, <laughs> the censorship, all the little childish uh People that live in their vans just erupted that I didn't like this movie and uh, just hysteria. And I even got a comment, take it off as soon as I wrote it. And you know what? why it got taken off? It was because I said an offensive word. You'll never get guess what the word was that was so offensive that it could not be on a van life Facebook page full of adults. I'm going to tell you, listeners, the word was damn. We're not going to censor that either. Yeah, we're not going to censor it. So, <laughs> so you anything to add before? You had to change it to darn, didn't you? I actually did, yeah. <laughs> Fuck them. Hey, you know, you know what I would rather have a reboot of? And I'll be honest, I haven't watched this show in a long time. And I was young when it was out. There was a show in the 90s called Promised Land. <laughs> and it was about this family that traveled around in an airstream. And they went to different towns and the dad would like look for work and they would actually like help people. And they would kind of be an inspiration to people that they met. And I know that I think the the end of their series kind of took a turn for more ratings instead of like a good story. Um, and it didn't work. But another, another uh, kind of romantic view of... Uh, kind of similar to what we do is the boxcar children. You remember the boxcar children? But here's the thing. Go ahead and say the thing I liked about the boxcar children wasn't, it wasn't about their mean grandpa or the grandpa not being mean. It had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with the ingenuity of the kids. Like these were kids that were like making shit work. They were feeding themselves. They were finding things and like turning it into fun or turning it into something practical. Like they were really good scavengers. And that impressed me. Yeah. The only thing I was going to add to that, I remember reading The Boxcar Children as well, and that was a huge influence and inspiration for me, these kids living in a boxcar, you know, hobos. (laughs) But uh, 
be careful wishing that something gets made into a movie. Oh, I think um, they did make it into a movie, but I didn't watch it. Really? Oh, man. Yeah, Can you imagine any of these things that you treasure made into a movie in this political climate? No. Like, those people in the uh, RV that are traveling around, they would either not be Christian, <laughs> or they would be trying to make amends for their previous Christian misconceptions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they yeah. would wokeify the fuck out of these movies. The yeah. boxcar children would probably all be black and the reason they're living in a boxcar is because of the racist community oh, the systemic that oppressed them. Yeah. yeah, and they would all have a different color hair. And have They'd be different like, oh, the little identities. boy with the blue hair. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So We don't know if, he, if that's a boy, actually. I no longer wish for things to be made into movies. I, kinda, I even heard the never-ending story that Disney's coming out with a new never-ending story. I can't. Fuck me. No, that's bad. So. It was the never-ending story. We don't need to add to it. It's yeah. never-ending. Well, they indeed are fulfilling the prophecy. It's becoming the never-ending story. Uh, like, they will not put a, the end on that motherfucker. So, well, um, this glorified homeless person is about ready to go down to the lake and scrub her glorified homeless person ass. Ooh, I've been into your ass. And rightly so. <laughs> Row. Oh, boy. So, um, yeah, we are going to cut to a break. And dear, dear listeners, we will talk to you after the break. In these busy times we live in, it can be difficult to know which sign is the right for you to proudly display on your lawn. Black Lives Matter. Thank you, Jesus. I could shit a better president. For sale. No trespassing. Smile your own No camera. human is illegal. Trump 2024. In this house, we believe in science. Pride. All love is good love. Ah! With everything else going on, how can I juggle signaling my virtue to all my pretentious friends and neighbors without risking offending all of my other pretentious friends and neighbors or incurring the wrath of the lower classes? We hear you. We know what you really want to say, and we want to get you ready for the revolution. Now introducing the Please Don't Hurt Us yard sign, tastefully handwritten by actual housing-impaired persons in bold, permanent marker, displayed on rich, earth-toned cardboard, so your community knows you care, but are not threatened that you may care more than them. The cardboard is biodegradable, compostable, and communicates a modest lifestyle to dissuade thieves. For a small additional fee, we will add on the bottom of the sign, we are good people, so everyone will know. It's right there on the sign. All of your money will go directly towards helping the homeless, and we will write this on the back of each and every sign, ensuring your authenticated status as a virtuous person. Act now, and we'll add an additional sign, free of charge for the post-apocalypse, which reads in desperate, scrawling font in bright red letters, we have no food. You'll be the envy of all your neighbors when your house is the only one left intact by the roving bands of starving raiders. También disponible en español para asaltantes latinos hambrientos. Don't wait. Virtue signal now. And we're back from the lake. Oh, yeah. And we have got this nice trail that's, what do you think? How long does it take to walk this trail? And I mean like straight out of the little, our, our little hobo winter camp. Uh, I'd say... A, at least a good 30 minutes, maybe a little longer. I would think less. So let's say 25 minutes, something like that. Okay. But we walk this trail and it goes to this lake that's kind of dry right now, which is, you know, as we've said, kind of unfortunate that the water's um, dried up quite a bit. But for the lake, it actually makes it much more accessible. So we can go on this nice rocky shore and there's this whole corner of this lake that have no houses on it. We rarely see like a fisherman or any people. So we can just go out there and get naked on this 
beautiful lake under this clear blue sky with this bright warm sun shining down on us in late October. Not even windy today. Yeah, and all the the leaves, the autumn colors are reflected on the water, and it is just, um, wow, words fail me. It's, It's magical. It's a warm day in October, but not particularly, it's not anywhere above probably 75 degrees. I'd say it's probably closer to 68, 70. Yeah. And... I got into the water up to a little over my waist, and then I bent my knees, and it felt like I was taking a really luxurious bath, even though the water was cold. That's strange. And there's something about wild water like we've talked about, but Mm -hmm. man, just every time it's like a baptism. It's more than just uh, washing your body like you get in a shower. So. Mm That's what we did during our our little break here. And there's these persimmons. We just found all these trees we hadn't noticed before, like six of them. It's practically a persimmon orchard. And uh, big, some of the biggest, juiciest, sweetest wild persimmons I've ever seen. And they are so freaking good. Like as soon as you eat them, it just elevates your mood immediately. You're suddenly more thankful for everything. Yeah. And what I think is another benefit, that's another benefit of the lake, being a little dried up is those persimmon trees, I think, would be dropping the fruit in the water because mm-hmm. they're right next to the shore. And we found cattail for the first time. Hadn't seen that in our little walking yeah. area before. And the uses of cattail are just legend, like the edible roots, the stalks you can do things with, medicinal uses. I, I wear a hat right now, fedora made out of cattail. I mean, just what a resource. Still a small little grove, so we're not going to collect it yet, but hopefully it'll keep getting strong. Mm-hmm. And it was cool when I walked over there to the persimmon tree earlier, um, I smelled like this really distinctive gray fox smell. I studied a little bit with this uh, author, Paul Resendez, who's written a couple books on like tracking. I don't want to get carried away with this whole side story here, but uh, <laughs> one of the things he taught me is uh, how to start um, tracking through scent, that you can really recognize animal scents and use that to help track. So so cool walking to this persimmon tree and smelling this uh, skunky, musty, kind of like mildewy clothes smell that is a gray fox. If it's sharper, it's a red fox. So that was so cool because it was confirmation that a fox had been there for one thing. He'd left that story behind. And also, um, foxes and persimmons have such a close relationship that if you see a persimmon tree, you can bet there's foxes around. If you see a (laughs) fox, you can bet there's a persimmon tree around. Mm -hmm. So that was cool. I just want to share a little bit about our break. Indeed. Indeed. And uh, for our our next section of the show, our segment. Mm, Thank um, you. There is a, <clears throat> sorry for spitting on you, Teresa. Mm. There's a trigger warning for sensitive listeners. We may talk about controversial topics. Um, if you need to report to your safe space, enjoy our complimentary marshmallows and help will be with you shortly. <laughs> so we want to talk We've about. We've got marshmallows? No, they've got marshmallows. Mm. We <laughs> want to talk a little bit, because I mentioned it last episode, of some of our views that have changed. We thought that would be interesting because um, like any philosophy, like any uh, perspectives, they should evolve. Sometimes they go in one direction, sometimes they go in another, sometimes they bounce back and forth, and sometimes they bloom into a really deep understanding. So uh, yeah, Teresa, um, are there any views off the top of your head? We're kind of brainstorming, you know, a little bit this week. 
yeah. back and forth, but uh, that you would like to share to start us off with uh, something we expressed in a former podcast, especially, that um, we see differently now. Well, I was thinking about, because you were talking about the lake being low and um, just thinking about like climate change and how I want to say that I believe the climate is changing. I don't know how much of that is human. Like, I don't know where the line is of where humans cause it and then nature takes over. But I'm pretty sure that whatever is happening, we as humans, even scientist humans, (laughs) can't fully understand it. For example... We've been noticing for the past couple winters or fall winter seasons that the water levels in all of our creeks, streams, you know, rivers, lakes has been have been low. And I think I saw somewhere that it's 2022 and this is a year of La Nina, that uh, weather condition that happens every so many years. And and in this area of the United States, we often will get dry winters, dry weather in general. And that's indeed what's happening. But there's also other things that are going on. Like, for example, if the water here in the southeastern United States was getting um, dangerous for even dogs to to be in, maybe, and I know this doesn't, like I said, this is just something I'm thinking about. I know that right now the water is uh, condensing that stuff. So it's like getting worse before it gets better. But maybe if the streams and lakes and everything dry up, maybe whatever's in there won't be able to exist. And then when it's the cycle again where they fill up with water, maybe they'll be healthy again. Okay, so is I might have missed it. You might have said it. But how is, like, what's the view that you had before that changed? I guess for me, climate change has always been kind of a question of how much can I affect change? And I still believe that I have control over myself, but I'm not 100% sure as a part of this consumer culture how much um, as a culture we can do. And I don't know how much, if we stopped right now, I think it would be better. If we stopped all the industry right now, it would be better. But I guess with the understanding that we have of the climate and it's changing, I don't know if we understand, like, if we did stop it, would we actually be holding up the process of healing? So your changed view is that you used to think we had a lot more impact on the environment and now you are either don't think we have quite as much or unsure, more unsure? I guess I'm unsure and I don't know the impacts of what we're doing as a species of our habitat, of our environment. I don't think, I don't know if we can see the water as a fish. I don't know if we know exactly what's going on. Well, somewhat related, I'm going to talk about a change view I have that I think is, I can connect. Let's see if I can connect it to what you just said. But, uh, Overpopulation. I still believe there's too many people and that part of the, uh, a better world will involve a reduced population. But that used to lead me, and I said some pretty strong things, especially in our first season, about don't have kids. That led me to just um, one of the things we can do to address this overpopulation is to stop having kids. Um, the first thing that I ran into that challenged me was Ted Kaczynski when he encouraged mm-hmm. people that thought like this to have kids. 
because he saw that this this fight, this cultural battle, will go much longer than a generation. And if you're not passing on these teachings to someone, um, that means there's going to be more people that were raised by people who held that view. Like the opposing view. The opposing view, mm-hmm. yeah. So um, I think I was wrong about that. I'm not... Um, I don't find myself feeling like the best way to handle overpopulation is not having kids anymore. Um, I think that opens the door to a lot of possibilities. Like a lot of the things I was thinking, I wasn't, I, I didn't see where it would go. So I feel like there's actually a push now to sterilize kids, to, um, sterilize more people, to scare them with, with things on the news you're seeing. Um, and what that amounts to is people are still going to want babies, but it pushes us more into like things like designer babies, as we talked about in our transhumanist yeah, podcast, yeah. things that aren't gotten through sex, you know, the old fashioned way. So I don't think that's a great thing. And I really, I would apologize to all the kids I've taught um, for some of the things I said in the what, what was the thing about kids that we had in first season? What if I don't have kids? If I didn't have kids? Yeah. Because one of the things I was telling kids, and I've been telling kids in a bunch of different ways, and a lot of us have, is a very pessimistic view. Mm-hmm. We're not giving them even the hope of a future. Um, we're telling them, like, things are going extinct. We, uh, you know, Greta Thunberg is up there saying loudly, I, if I don't have a future, you know, as a kind of gambling chip to encourage people to do what she considers pro-environmental things. Mm-hmm. But uh, what that translates to as kids is what? We don't have a future? There's no point in going to, like, really anything. (laughs) There's no point in caring because if I don't have a future, what do I care? So I've changed my view on that. I think there's plenty of beauty in this world, and there is hope to be found, too. And this is where I see a link to what you said. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of that pessimism is over the environment. And I still have a pretty... Maybe it's a pessimistic view. I still notice, you know, even more than a lot of people that shout the loudest about climate change. I'm out here every day. It is quieter. There are less birds. I mourn that. And we're trying to find ways to live that hopefully are closer to a balance, even if it's some self-sacrifice, even if it's doing without comforts or addictions or things that we may not otherwise object to in our culture. Mm -hmm. We care more about this other kind of good is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. But uh, even with that said, raising kids to be pessimistic, no wonder they fucking found ways to escape. No wonder we have a whole generation of fucked up, fragile kids that uh, want to escape into virtual reality, video games, smartphones, social media. No fucking wonder. Yeah. Sometimes I will get really uh, caught up in getting upset with the... This generation, I don't even know what generation we're on. <laughs> That's when you know you're getting old. What are those goddamn generations? But... I got to remind myself, we did that to them. These kids didn't just come out hooked up on video games. We're not quite the Borg yet. They weren't born with a cord in them. We did that to them. So that's something I realized looking back is that pessimistic view of telling kids like, you know, the world's in trouble and stuff like that. I know that we were trying to, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, Inspire. Not inspire them, trigger them maybe, get them moving, Yeah. get them active, taking it seriously. But it was too much weight to put on the kids. Yeah, it's like they didn't know what to do, so a good mechanism is to turn inward, and that doesn't mean 
reflecting like the Buddha, it means like narcissism. Yeah, it can mean a lot of destructive thing. As a matter of fact, I think all this, uh, anything you can point to in this generation now that seems like these kids are in trouble and even crazy, I think you can link this to that. They were raised without hope. They were raised without a focus on all the ugly, whether it's social injustice, whether it's environmental collapse, um, all kinds of stuff. And of course that had an effect. Yeah. We thought we were helping like make a generation of uh, what's called social justice warriors now. And it wasn't <laughs> too long ago that I would have been behind something like that. We need a generation of warriors that stand up and protest. Yeah. Now that I've seen what I think that message translated to the kids, we fucked them up. Yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah. So that's a view I've changed. Um, I've got a list of stuff. So um, anything that you want to share, Teresa, we can take turns, but don't feel like you need to, uh, you know, just rack your brains if nothing comes to you. So you got anything you want to share right now with a view that has changed? Um. Well, shit, we just went on that walk to the lake and I had maybe two or three I don't exactly remember what I said, but I do remember bringing up... um, I remember something you said, if you can't remember it. Well, I remember changing my views. I will use a, um, I guess, a biblical term, softening my heart more to the religions of the world. Yeah, that's what I remember. Not so much the, the organization of the religions, but just to the... The parts, the messages that got through that, uh, for whatever reason they got through, um, they've given me some insight into like, oh, this is, oh, this is really interesting. And the crossover too, because we've been reading some of the Dhammapada, um, what the Buddha was teaching and remembering what I read in the New Testament, the very few things that uh, Jesus was quoted to say and be like, oh, wow, I can see where that came from. Interesting crossover there. What do you think of the Dhammapada? I think it's beautiful. I think um, reading it aloud in the stanza form, like just pausing after each stanza, kind of like we were talking about the uh, the manifesto that Ted Kaczynski wrote. Yeah. Uncle Ted. Mm-hmm. Uh realizing that if you read it all the way through, like there's different chapters that focus on different things, that's fine. But by pausing at the end of each collection of thoughts, the the stanzas that are numbered, um, you can really start to feel how the words impact you. You said like a soft rain falling. Yeah. Yeah, my views of religion have uh, changed as well. I used to uh, really denounce religion, and I saw something that was there, which is the controlled aspect of religion. Religions get co-opted a lot and then used as methods of uh, oppression and control of a people. Kind of what Daniel Quinn says, the pie in the sky when you die mm-hmm. thing. Like, oh, just you know, follow us and work for us now, and you'll have this reward in heaven. And there is that aspect. It is certainly there, and it is certainly not hard to find. But... Um, I guess over time, I've come to understand there's a lot more to religion than what I was seeing just from that vantage point. Um, for one thing, you know, I, I've been reading about the Bolshevik Revolution in the Gulag Archipelago books. Um, and leftism will target religion. This is like a typical thing in China, where communism, you know, reared its ugly head, in Russia, and uh, now here in the United States. 
where this kind of ideology, this leftist ideology comes, it tends to really attack religion on the basis of the vantage point I just said, you know, that the control aspect of Mm -hmm. it. But religion also empowers people. Now, I think this happens more rarely, but for the people that have this kind of understanding of religion, it takes away their fear of death. I've read some powerful things about people that stood up to the state, to uh, authoritative regimes, because of their religion. It was their religion that empowered them to uh, have a deeper understanding and have courage. Yeah. So I think there's that aspect of religion and also the kindness. You know, as we've shared many times, I mean, there's only so many years you can be on the road and run into the people that will talk to you, that will uh, share stories with you, that will um, help you with food, with anything, you know, all kinds of things. And they're religious people. There's only so many times you can see that over and over before it starts sinking through, like, I wonder if there's something I'm missing. Mm-hmm. And I think about Gandhi, like, he really said we need less politics and less all this other stuff and more religion. And he wasn't bound by any one religion. He studied, like, several different religions. And um, I've wondered about that over the years. Gandhi's a smart guy. I really, like, when he says something, I think about it because he doesn't say things lightly. Not a guy like Gandhi. He's got a reason. And I think this is part of it, that empowering, like religion can give you a vehicle. It can give you a story to exist in. Like when you read the Bible, there's so much stuff in there, like we talked about, especially from Paul, that could be interpreted as more government, more control. Mm -hmm. But there's other stuff in there, like from Jesus, that is some of the most powerful stuff that we are finding to focus on in our lives. Beauty, gratitude. Uh, Loosen your fear of death, connection with everything. Mm -hmm. Things that I only find in this way, this poetic way in religion. Science doesn't touch on that. So that's something that has changed. You got anything you want to say about that? Mm. No, I mean, that that pretty much sums it up. I don't, uh, I still am not like going to church or anything like that. I just, I feel like I've changed in softening to it. And that doesn't, have to mean that I agree with everything that religions say. That no. just that just means I'm not being a a closed-minded asshole about it. Yeah, I'm not like tied to any one religion. It's just uh, I am enjoying like looking at these religious texts and finding the wisdom because so much of what's said in there is stuff that we are discovering on our own. It's like, wow, look, this truth is right here. Mm-hmm. It's not in our culture. We have to rebel against our culture. But it's celebrated in this ancient philosophy. So some of the stories I think are really interesting in the philosophies. But yeah, I mean, I'm not like, you know, getting an Amish wig or anything. (laughs) Although I do like the Amish. Those guys are pretty cool. Um, What about racism, Teresa? Have your views changed about racism? Do you remember doing the episode Indigenous Peoples of the U.S. and some of the uh, language we've used? And uh, we would talk about white culture. Um, would you still use the, the word white culture or the phrase white culture? You know, <clears throat> the thing is, having learned a little bit more context of, I don't know, like, I guess just history in general, it looks like everybody, including white people, kind of got the raw end of the deal. It just happens to be that the latest 
to get the raw end of the deal are indigenous people. But I give them a lot of respect for having lasted through all of this stuff this long and still, you know, they're holding on to their indigenous ways as, as much as they can. But yeah, I'm not sure if, if you're going to blame white people, then I, where did the white people come from? Not all of us came from England, y'all. Check that out. Not all of us were slave owners. In fact, some of our families came from places where we might have been slaves. And the more I study history and I understand history, you know, you can never really pin it down. Stubborn history. It's always slipping around. Mm -hmm. Um, But it seems like the current, if you follow the science, the current thinking is that civilization stemmed up among brown skinned people, people most likely brown skinned in uh, the Middle East. Mm -hmm. So... To blame whites for civilization when we describe white culture is right away um, ignoring a huge part of the story. Slavery, agriculture, taxes, um, many of the recognizable aspects of our culture were in place before it arrived on the white people. Now, to me, this isn't to blame the brown people. Exactly. That's not the point. There's nobody to blame. It is to point out that you trying to blame, even if you were going to play the blame game, it's a weird thing to try to pin it on the white people because in other conversations I've heard people of color, you know, who I hear some people hate that term, you know, black people. um, They will brag that civilization started among the brown skinned people and feel like (laughs) they're not getting enough credit for all of their contributions to civilization. Yeah. So typical uh, reversal, typical like doublespeak, you know, two different ideas that like, Oh, I think this way on this conversation And, um, yeah, when we started looking into slavery, there's records of pretty much every race of people both being slaves and owning slaves. Now, I've heard people talk about, oh, well, it's not chattel slavery. Like, you know, okay, maybe there was slavery over in Africa before the white people. But, uh, you know, it was the fun kind of slaves, you know, like owning people in kind of a frivolous way. It was sort of like a potluck. Bullshit. It was fucking slavery. You own people. Um, I know that's come in many forms with many names over history. But even in indigenous cultures, this is something I've changed my view on um, because I've run into other evidence and it was convincing. It was persuasive that you will find even in indigenous, indigenous cultures. And I've seen this written from people back like Red Cloud, for instance. Um, indigenous people that have written about their culture, there were forms of slavery. They had slavery. Um, they would commit genocide sometimes when given the opportunity where they would overtake a whole group of people. I know there was a philosophy in some tribes to respect your enemy, but there was also a lot of examples where this land used to belong to this tribe of people, and then they were overtaken by a stronger tribe. The Black Hills of South Dakota are an example. Hmm. If you look into the history, you know, where we talk about those mountains being taken from the indigenous people, which I still hate. The indigenous people took them from other indigenous The indigenous people, people had taken them from other indigenous people. <laughs> so what I'm trying to ally with more and more, I guess one of the common themes through this is I want to ally with truth. If I need to change my views or think about something differently, I want to look at that, not just hold on to the lies I've gotten the most comfortable with. Yeah. If it's a lie and I discover it's a lie or it starts seeming like a lie, it's time to look closer. 
and consider other points of view. So a lot of things there, and even um, ecological devastation. There is a lot of evidence that indigenous tribes have wreaked havoc on their environments. Um, mm, you were reading the third chimpanzee. Yeah, with, uh, New Zealand. Jared like, holy crap. Like, they wiped out New Zealand, indigenous people. Now, Derek Jensen brings up a good point here where he says, all right, even if this did happen, they learned how to come to terms with that and live a better way by the time the whites arrived. I agree with that as well. <clears throat> but yeah, that's a view. I would not use the term white culture anymore. I think that's racism, and it feeds into this divisive language that is bullshit. It is racism. And when their culture absorbs another race of people, we don't see them ennobled by some better spirit than white people. We see them become the same way. They pick up guns. They go fight wars to take land from other people, just like the white people did. They got absorbed in a civilization. And all the brown people that showed up on those shores also were born and absorbed because through birth. Yeah. Nobody's to blame. Civilization is a bigger problem than any race, and I will not use phrases like white culture anymore. It's misleading. It misses the whole fucking point. Um, now, what do you think, Teresa? We've had a lot of talks about communism and leftism and the links between those. I know I've read most of the books on this, but do you have any impressions on that? Because we mocked that at one time, and it's easy to mock. Like yeah. Hoover, you know, uh, J. Edgar Hoover, just hysterical about communist. And you got the John Birch Society. Mm-hmm. And you got that, who's that senator? Uh, McCarthy. McCarthyism. And you got the Red Scare during the Truman era. They, we used to mock this uh, hysteria over the dangers, the threats of communism. Well, again, it's it's that short-sightedness. You know, if you, if you think that the big problem is that people are going to learn to be uh, more of a socialist society... Um, ooh, everybody gets health care. Ooh, that's so scary. That's not the end point of it. That's the thing that I think that's where we were before was like, well, what's so wrong with that? Look at these people. They get longer vacations. They get, you know, better treatment, you know, in all yeah, different ways. Capitalist propaganda. But, but not seeing how it changes the control of the government and not seeing how it changes the freedoms of the people. Mm -hmm. So you're trading that. And again, Kaczynski was ahead of me on this. When I ran into his words on this, I was kind of, I'd already begun to see it, but I was kind of surprised at the way he spelled it out. But he he warns against leftism um, for some of these same reasons. The leftist ideology goes back to Marxism is closely tied, as is evident if you pay attention to what the politicians are saying, what they ally with, with socialism, communism. These are all ways of increasing the state's power. They open the doors to more authoritarianism. Um, Some of the things that, when I read the Gulag Archipelago, that was a big book that woke me up. This was written in the 1970s by Alexander, what was his name? Solzhenitsyn, I think. Can you say it louder? Solzhenitsyn. Yeah, I can never pronounce it's, that. It's, I'm just, that's an approximation. But it's three books written in the 70s about his time in the 30s, 40s, mostly, that he was in the Gulag of Russia, and he's a Russian. And uh, for writing this book, he had to flee Russia. Uh, I forget, like, they hid it in a camera case, this book or whatever, if that person hadn't made it, we'd never be reading this book. Wow. Um, but the interesting thing is he's not trying to make parallels to woke left nowadays. 
it was 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. But the parallels are there, and that's what made my jaw drop when I read this book. Highly recommend it, uh, The Gulag Archipelago, Parts 1, 2, and 3. Um, but some of the, you know, things that were, um, what would I say, overarching things. For one thing, the attack on religion. Mm-hmm. We're seeing that big time now. That's you know? been happening for a long time. Yeah. I don't, like I said, I don't uh, disagree with the people who are seeing this aspect of religion that's been used for oppression and control. It's there. Yeah. But they're only seeing that. And that is being pushed, I feel like, in a hundred subtle ways in the media. We're meant to dislike religion. That's something that's being pushed. Yeah. And if you want to see the power of religion, look at this recent pandemic, the lockdown. The churches were some of the people standing up first for their right to choose. Mm, yeah. Yeah. We can we we decide what to do with our bodies. We think it's more important to congregate and to worship God. That kind of disobedience um, easily can come from religion. So one of the things you see that the Gulag Archipelago talks about is attacks on religion, attacks on the church, attacks on people's faith. You need to move that faith and make the state your religion and have faith in the, your leaders, not in the Messiah. That is... Uh, a wild card they can't deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, because it takes people's fear away, and the fear is what the state has to control you. Mm-hmm. And let's see. Can you think of any other examples, Teresa? Of the communisms? The stuff? parallels, yeah, between, like, the communism. Well, uh, there, there were a lot of instances of people being considered... Um, what would you say, like the elite? Oh, the class division. Yeah. The critical theory, yeah. This was a critical theory Marxism applied during the Bolshevik Revolution, and we have critical race theory, which is the same thing. It's a divisive us and them sort of philosophy. It's there is an oppressed victim group and an oppressor group, and everybody in this group, no matter what, is a victim. They're oppressed. Everybody in the other group, no matter what, is evil because they were the oppressors. Um, this is promoted more and more widely here in the U.S. as a race divide, but in Russia, back in the 30s and 40s, um, under Stalin, it was a class divide. One of the common themes is this hate will keep spreading. First, they drag out all the rich people, or possibly in near future, let's say, um, the hatred towards whites grows. They drag out all the white people. More and more, anybody who questions the liberators will be cast as the enemy. You would see poor farmers, if they just started speaking out against Stalin or some of the policies that were being pushed, now they're class traitors. Mm-hmm. You're a traitor to your class. You just said this isn't working? What? Are you one of them? You must be one of the people that wants the rich people back and all the terrors they brought. So, um, Class traitor, race traitor. Yeah. Censorship. Increased censorship. This is something we see every time communist or leftism takes root. We're seeing it in this country. I now totally believe that there has been and definitely is now a danger of leftist, communist ideology, Marxist ideology. And Stalin famously said, if you want to defeat America, what we have to do is infiltrate their propaganda and their minds. I wish I'd taken the time to write down the direct quote, but it was something to that effect. Um, start influencing their news. Mm -hmm. Now, all the news media leans left on every issue. Even Fox, you catch them doing it. They only seem right-wing compared to the other ones. (laughs) Uh, Movies, you see the same messages over and over, you know, about victims and oppressors and um, 
this kind of ideology just repeated. Yeah. So there's that. And then we hit, we see like, you know, you have the class traders in Russia and we see terminology used now. Like if there's a black man that does not speak their politics, they even cast him as a white man. <laughs> you are the black face of white supremacy. Now, because you don't agree with us, you're one of those evil white people. It's the same tactic. I mean, the more I read, the parallels were just eerie. Um, reversals of words, redefinitions of words, so everyone's confused. Encouragement of see something, say something, so your oh, neighbors yeah. are encouraged to snitch on you, which breaks up tribe, makes you more reliant on the state because you're not going to form a group. There's always a chance and a high probability of a mole because everybody's being indoctrinated. This is your patriotic duty. And by the way, if you don't do it, your life is going to shit. So if somebody beats you to it and brats on you, you're fucked, really fucked. So a lot of these ugly things have happened before and they are happening from the same playbook. So that's a view that I changed. When I was mocking some of these people, I still think it was mixed up with a lot of lunacy. Mm-hmm. Just um, like it, just like it is now, too. Yeah, just because you find something a common ground that, like, oh, maybe they were right about something, doesn't mean they were right about everything. Mm-hmm. But that red scare, yeah, I don't laugh at that anymore. Yeah, I think it's happened and is happening. It's not that there aren't racist people or there aren't, you know, white supremacists or something like that. It's just that they've slid the definition to include a lot more people that aren't. Mm-hmm. And he brought up in the Gulag Archipelago forced uh, equity. So in other words, these people mm. that we think are the privileged people that have like um, – they started including more and more people in what they thought was the Borgesy, including educated people. Oh, you could afford to go to college and you're educated. Well, how come this poor guy here can't take your job and run the factory? Matter of fact, we don't like you. You're going to the Gulag. He's got your job. <laughs> and he had no idea how to do that job. It was just – Getting, yeah, getting warped, rid of the people. A warped idea of equity. Equity is pushing people into positions that are like um, your idea of equality. Equality is equal opportunity. Mm -hmm. That someone is not filtered out based on race or class or something like that. So forced equity, forcing people into these positions instead of hiring people on the basis of their individual ability. So you started having a lot of people really fucking bad at their jobs. It's not because they were from a lower class in Russia or from another race in uh, or gender in the U.S. It's because that was looked at first instead of their ability. Mm -hmm. Thus, we have Judge Jackson, Ooh. you know, nominated um, when Biden admitted he was looking for a black woman. Yeah. Um, for her race and secondarily by her ability and. The stupid ass fucking can't tell a woman, can't define a woman without a biologist. And we're just, okay, that makes sense. Well, it's not her job. And the, the low, <laughs> yeah. And the lowered quality of so many of our industries, you know, we're seeing that as well, a nosedive. I recognize on one hand, we want these industries to fail, but it's like civilization isn't going down with it. It's just we have a lower quality of life, just like Russia. Russia didn't collapse. Matter of fact, maybe the pollution and stuff like that increased as the standards took a nosedive. Hmm. It wasn't what I once thought it was. I thought anything that hurt civilization was good because yeah. civilization had to be stopped. I don't think that's true anymore. I think there are ways to hurt civilization that keeps it intact and pushes it into a worse place. And it's only our 
short-sighted perspective that makes us think, oh, how could it be worse than this? Now, the more I read history, yeah. it can fucking be worse. Um, the more I watch U.S. history uh, compared this with um, five years ago, it can fucking get worse. I've and seen what it are get we even, worse. What are we even doing? What are we trying to accomplish? So we're tearing people down. Um, there's no solution to white people unless you are prepared to commit a genocide of people. So what are we, I mean, what are we doing? Oh, we're trying to make everyone anti-racist, which doesn't appear to be doing anything because all the anti-racist people are taking trips to Europe. Yeah, and the reversal of words as in Antifa, uh, anti-fascist or anti-racist, what you find is they will have values that when you start delving into them are extremely fascist, (laughs) extremely racist. Yeah. And so everything, gender and sex, I can't tell you how much Teresa and I have like followed that rabbit down the hole and watched things on this. It still will not be defined intentionally. These words get switched around all the time. You just ran into it about a week ago at a food pantry. Yeah. It asked you your gender and then gave the choices, male or female. Yeah. What the fuck did that mean? Um, <laughs> so all these tactics have been used before. So yeah, definitely a threat. And Another thing that I've changed my... Well, do you have anything else to say about that? No, I don't. And I just wanted to add, like Orwell wrote Animal Farm, um, apparently as partly a metaphor for... Or an analogy. I don't remember, I don't know which kind. Uh, is that an analogy or metaphor? I don't know. I'm going to say metaphor. It's a story. It's a metaphor. And about the Russian Revolution that I'm describing, the time of the Gulag, and um, the confusion tactics, you know, like... Just constantly changing things and like, no, we didn't. Yeah. No, we didn't. Don't we see that now? We actually see news headlines under. I, I never thought I would yeah. see that. And it's like the story of the emperor's new clothes. It's <laughs> happening right the fuck in front of us. And we are so much under this leftist control, this fear of our neighbors, this uh, just fear of what's going to happen if we don't go along. That we're watching the emperor walk around naked and like, oh, what a beautiful outfit. Oh, my God. That is wonderful. And. Sometimes you're that kid, like, he ain't got no clothes. You want to hear, this is this is the personal level of this. So I do pet sitting, and I don't know who's going to drop in on my Facebook page or even listen to a podcast of mine. I don't know. But I hold back sharing my views because I am afraid that people will not hire me or people will badmouth me and I won't get hired because of that. And that's not normal. Of course people are going to, you know, be curious and look up who you are and maybe, you know, find out things you may or may not want them to find out. But when I feel like I have to censor myself for things that are not hate speech, they are not things that are... uh in my personal opinion, anything that I should feel like I have to hide, but I am hiding it because I'm a little scared. That's not normal. Yeah. Meanwhile, people are prancing around, you know, dressed like the opposite sex, and that's okay, but I can't say certain things that go against a narrative. Yeah, not even just dressed as the opposite sex. You could say, well, you know, you don't have to like it. That's their freedom. 
but saying they are the opposite sex, and here's the part that gets me. Here's where you, 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 you what was it Merle Haggard said? Here's where you walk on the fight inside of me. <laughs> when you tell me I have to go along with what's clearly a delusion, that's when we're in the territory of the naked emperor. Mm-hmm. When we're all like, she is stunning and brave. Isn't it wonderful how this giant woman with a penis just outswam all the smaller, <laughs> um, what are we calling them, cis women? Uh, female assigned at birth. Female assigned at birth. Oh, it's amazing. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have bet on that in a million years. Mm, wow. <laughs> oh. It's fucking ridiculous and we all know it. And that's part of that that leftist ideology. Upside down and a culture where you free speech is attacked. Free speech goes with religion when communism shows up. Um, what am I trying to say here? But uh, one other thing that I wanted to, uh, when I'm thinking about, I have, I've got, I think about this so much, I've got too much to say. <laughs> but uh, when we ask for uh, help with the homeless, the homeless should be housed. When we say we demand free health care, I've come to realize, I used to wonder, what the hell's the argument against this? How can anybody be against helping the homeless? They clearly need something. Free health care, like, that should be something we all have. (laughs) I still think there's something to that, but if we're relying on the state to do it, it is bargaining with the devil. I still, on one hand, wish I had free health care. You know, I could easily get sick or have something happen where I'm going to be uh, in a bind really quick because of this culture I live in. But to let the government take over health care, um, they're Canadians. I've talked to more than one that come over from Canada into the United States for health care because they say, yeah, it's free, but you got to wait half a year. Yeah. I need this treated now. And um, I've heard stories from India where they tried to initiate free health care and the quality fucking plummeted because – There's no competition. For whatever the downside of things being competitive are, it does bring quality to a sharpness. So, you know, that's something that's common in Russia. You know, you picture the bread lines of Mm -hmm. old communist Russia. And look where we're moving. Let me tell you, the food pantry lines are getting much longer. Yeah. There's no standard of quality. The competition is being removed with some of these socialist-like payouts. And so so what if the doctor, like, doesn't show up someday or fucking jerks you around or says, eh, I'll make an appointment in half a year from now? Um, He gets paid anyway. He doesn't have to compete. Yeah. I was just going to say with the food pantries, it's true that there's more people. But guess what? There's not more food. Yeah. So you just wait longer for less. And this leads me to my last changed view. This was going on longer than I thought. Um, But the only way I see to break free from the trap of free health care or paying for health care is to change your relationship with you, what you take responsibility for, your own body, and especially your own death. It is coming. Again, what religious faith do you have? Do you have a fear of death that's so poignant that they can control you with it? Or do you have some kind of spiritual belief? I don't care what religion. There's a hundred ways there. Some belief that gives you the power not to fear death. Like Peace Pilgrim. Yeah. That's their main card that's played. The state, when it wants to increase its control, is scare you with death. It's the primal fear. 
Yeah, Peace Pilgrim, good example of somebody who didn't have that fear of death. And she didn't have, like, a specific religion either. Yeah. So the only way I see to break free of that is not through increased state, uh, oh, please, government, even as I'm trying to oppose you and call myself anti-civ, please provide free health care. It doesn't make sense. It increases their power. Um, so the other thing I've changed my view on, and this is probably the most controversial thing, is the rich. No. Ooh, going to ruffle some feathers oh. now. Oh, Keep in mind, shit. though, you are hearing this from someone who has uh, decided to live in a van, not from someone defending the rich as a rich person. That um, has no inheritance. That has no family to provide me a safety net. But this hatred that gets drummed up against capitalism. For one thing, and I brought this up on anarchist pages, and by the way, anarchists are highly infiltrated by the left. Fuck those anarchists. They are not anarchists. Um, jump in there and you will see all the tactics that actually, if you listen to their arguments, would increase state control. Their lives, the way they live their lives, they're doing nothing to free themselves from the government. They don't want to be free from the government. Um, and if you pin them down with the right question, they will even admit it. Anarchism is garbage now. Um, I still hold the views against the state. I still believe I'm fundamentally an anarchist, but I do not ally, ally myself with those groups any longer. Um, but attacks on capitalism. You will see anarchists often say there's no such thing as an anarcho-capitalist. When I first heard the word, I was like, that is the most ridiculous fucking thing I ever heard. Yep. An anarcho-capitalist? What the hell is that? I agreed. There was no such thing. Now, after a lot of thinking about it over time, I realize these are two different things. You can have capitalism, which is a structured form of greed, without state control. Hmm. Of course you can have anarcho-capitalism. Why would you not be able to? And here's the real clincher. When I ask people, what is capitalism? Keep at it. Keep those questions coming. You'll find out that people don't know. Where's the line that makes this person a capitalist and not this person? Let's say there's an indigenous hunter. He's really good. He's got a surplus, as a matter of fact. He realizes that in his time hunting, he's been pretty busy and he would really like a better bow. He's not that good at making bows. He's good at using them. Now, he wants to trade another man who's good at making bows but maybe doesn't have enough food for a fur. Is he a capitalist? Seems like a legitimate trade. Let's say he spends more of his time hunting, and he's got more of a surplus, and he can do more trading for the other things because he's spending his time hunting. He doesn't have time necessarily to make the best shelter, uh, do many of the other things. At what point does he become a capitalist? Let's say he actually gets other people that aren't good hunters. He says, you know what? If you help me process these skins, I can spend more time doing what I'm good at, hunting. You will get these skins ready to trade, and for that, I'll give you some of what we trade for. So technically, by our culture's terms, one guy is beholden, somewhat dependent, working for another guy to trade for these goods. At what point is this capitalism? Mm -hmm. It's not the solid line like we act like it is. And, you know, if you want some of the the problems that we have with capitalism is we say they have too much. <laughs> They're willing to have so much more than their fellow neighbors and people. They're evil for that. We say, um, oh, that's just intergenerational wealth. Like he didn't earn that money. He got it because his daddy was rich. We say, um, 
These corporations, they're horrible. They're destroying the planet. This one has a lot of truth in it. They are horrible. But let me ask you this. <laughs> are you not buying things? When you buy things, you're creating a demand. And that I don't use that word lightly. It's not just a, I want this. I demand this. This is how I feed myself. This is, I use electricity. You're creating a demand. <laughs> Capitalists are the suppliers. How much are you innocent and they're guilty when you create the demand even if a supplier, a capitalist says, I don't feel good about this anymore, I'm stopping, is the demand not still there? Yeah. Is someone not almost compelled to fill it? I mean, if you weren't demanding it, well, it seems like you could stop right now and they would go under. They can't exist without the demand. They're rich because of the supply. Still feeling innocent? Well, let me ask you this. <laughs> what if at your job they offer you a raise? Would you take it? What if you found a lottery ticket for a lot of money? Would you cash it in? Would you keep some of it? Because already, I bet if you think really hard, you can think of people that are more poor than you are. Mm -hmm. You've already consented that it's okay for you to have more than other humans, some of your neighbors. Most of you probably aren't the poorest person on the block, but even if you are, don't get caught up in that trap of being on your little high horse. Even us in our van, I, I can think of people right off the bat that have less than me. We've consented to this. Where is that line? Where yeah. is the line where it's evil? Isn't it funny how we always draw that line, as the leftists did, the communists did in Russia, just past where we are? <laughs> That's where the line is. It's right over there. We're just living comfortably. We're not rich. Yeah. And if you still feel all high and mighty, those damn capitalists, those evil capitalists, let me ask you this. If you won the lottery, would you not take care of your family at least a little bit better than everybody else's family? Would you not maybe leave a little inheritance for your child? These things that we condemn capitalists for are such uh, double standards that even though I still think rich uh, capitalism is a, is a organized form of greed. It's the greed itself that's the problem. Mm. Capitalism is just the way it plays out. So if you get rid of capitalism and now we're communists and socialists, the greed is still there. Yeah, yeah. The difference between capitalism and communism, and again, Gulag Archipelago helped me see this, is whether you're manipulating people's greed through a carrot or a stick. Ooh. Capitalism, it's the carrot. You could have more than your neighbors. You could have the fancy car. You could have more stuff. And don't we like stuff? And it's the carrot. Keep working. Hopefully you'll get that new position. All the girls will like you. All that. Communism still has greedy, powerful bastards who are acting like they're your liberators, but getting every bit as powerful and, and greedy as any American politician. Um, Stalin wasn't living in a cardboard box, let me tell you. <laughs> But since they don't provide, like you don't know how to get promoted because they're, it's all this equity. It's like, oh, well, the government says he's your new boss, but I'm better than him. Shut up to the archipelago. You can't speak up against this. So you can't advance in the same way. You would be considered a capitalist pig. Mm. What, you want more than your neighbors? What kind of cold-hearted, evil person are you? So now... The stick is applied because they still need to make weapons for their wars. 
they still need to make nuclear bombs. They still are an industrial society that needs to have something to trade with other industrial societies. When the Bolshevik Revolution happened, they had no intent of going back to an indigenous way of life. (laughs) You need to produce more than you need to continue an industrial society. They've only reorganized the greed. The actual thing that makes capitalism bad still exists in the left. And, um, God, I had so much to say on that. I keep losing my trace there, but yeah, it's, uh, well, what do you think that? Well, I catch my breath. You got any thoughts on that, Teresa? Well, a lot of the things that you've brought up remind me of what I said when we were walking and talking about this. And that is, um, the overarching view that I've had on blame, you know, whether we're blaming the leftists or we're blaming the capitalists or we're blaming whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that overarching umbrella is uh, is something that I've been looking at more. And all the ways I tried to point out to our listeners that you are playing the same game of any capitalist. You're just resenting someone who was dealt a better hand or is playing it better. Because mm-hmm. it's not just that Jeff Bezos um, is rich. It's that he has abilities. You can't just get homeless old Roy off the street. <laughs> Not old Roy. Jeff. Yeah, old Roy. <laughs> like, where the fuck's the liquor? Oh, I think he opened up a, a dog food company, old Roy. Well, how's he doing? He's doing all right. Well, that's good. But you can't just get old Roy <laughs> <laughs> up there with Jeff Bezos's job. There's more to it than the stuff that, oh, he's intergenerational wealth. <laughs> and you are playing the same game. You just want to be rich. If Let's face it. If you don't like capitalists, work on not needing them. The more I get free of them, the less I resent them because I don't envy them. Exactly. What they have is not a privilege. It's a fucking mental illness. That's greed that will never be satisfied, those poor bastards. The more beauty you let into your life, and this is what I was talking about earlier with our take on van life, the pilgrimage, the more you see that they are not to be envied and they're not to be hated any more than anybody else. I'm not going to say I don't get pissed off at them, but I get pissed (laughs) off at poor people too. I get pissed (laughs) off at everybody playing the stupid fucking game. Um, True that. So I've said things in former podcasts about dragging the rich out of their houses and everything, but you know what? I would not... Uh, encourage that because you might be surprised at what kind of house someone will get dragged out of because someone doesn't even have that kind of house. I don't want to get dragged out of my van by somebody who doesn't have a van. Yeah. So I really encourage like what Jesus said, you know, back to wisdom and religion, giving it all up. That's really, if you make it like how close to the bottom can you get? There's a strength in that. There's a wisdom in that, and it's the only thing that really fucking addresses capitalism. Everything else is lip service. Everything else is finger-pointing. Everything else is a double standard. It's hypocrisy. And, uh, you know, I find that as I get older, um, like a lot of people I've been listening to, there's a whole lot of disaffected, as Josh Lucas podcast, and he's one of these people, um, that started off really leftist, Like myself, I voted Democrat once, and I thought I was a Democrat at one time. Never thought I was a Republican. Still don't. But I do find myself moving more uh, conservative in my values. And I think this is healthy in the human experience. I think in an indigenous tribe, if you get away, like, 
let go of Democrats and Republicans. Just think of what the essence, as far as you understand it, of liberalism, a desire to try new things, to explore new things, and conservatism, a protection of the old ways. There's a balance. There's not a battle in a healthy community. It's natural for young people to be more liberal, to explore new things. We need that. The earth is always changing. We need to adapt. And it's through these new things that young people can bring to us that we can sometimes have the tools to adapt, to move with the earth, to move with ever-changing life. But the old people tend to be more conservative. They understand why we did things in the old ways. They understand the depth of ceremonies. They lead these ceremonies. They may seem frivolous to you when you're young. You don't understand them. That's what you need the conservative elders for. And I think that's one of our problems in our culture right now is things have gone so far left. Something happened. I mean, our culture is to blame. Our culture just became so fucking disgusting that nobody wanted to protect the old ways anymore. There was some things that maybe should have been looked at more carefully, some traditions, um, but everybody just went full-on liberal. And so you've got the elders that should be trying to temper this liberalism. It needs to be reasoned with. It needs to be tempered and softened. But instead, they're putting gasoline on it. They're inflating it because they never let go of it. And it becomes a very immature and childish view, I believe. I think it's sad when you see an old person that is just full-on wide-open liberal. It's like, in your whole long life, you've never seen anything about the old ways to defend, to protect, um, to preserve, to kind of slow down, conserve, conservative. And it's just out of balance. We see old people dying their hair. (laughs) I mean, they're following the kids instead of the kids following them, which created the balance. So it's really sad. And I I think I I am kind of... uh, influence that way with a lot of my views moving more conservative what about you Teresa I am definitely um I'm seeing a lot from the left that is shocking and I didn't want to see it at first I thought maybe um the things some of the things we were listening to some of the things that Gumby was telling me about that was that were happening on social media um I thought yeah I mean maybe Maybe there's like one person that's like stepping out of line and being a little crazy. And then it's like, well, maybe there's a group of people that are just, they've gone beyond. But now it's like, oh my God, even my mom, who I know she's, she's been Democrat her whole life. I don't think she's really ever voted, but, um, she tends to be more left leaning. She's repeating these things. And uh, it's getting scary. It's getting scary out there. So, I mean, I guess from that, I'm saying I'm moving a little more towards tempering the left. Yeah. <laughs> as yeah, scary it, as that is right now. Yeah, I'm not like joining the Tea Party or anything. I just, you know, find my values are understanding like how some things, I don't want to upset the whole apple cart anymore. Um, there's some things that were in place and I'm like, oh, man. You mean families used to get together and, like, eat dinner? Um, That probably was better. (laughs) You mean neighbors used to know each other and, like, go over, like, feel like they could go over and sit on the porch and talk in the evening and if they needed a cup of sugar? That doesn't sound so bad. Why is everything changing? 
If you feel a feeling like that, that's a conservative observation. Um, if you see things that need to be changed, like, wow, you know, like there's that diner down the road and they don't let black people in. I don't think that's fair. Like, what the hell harm does it do to let anybody in? Then you have a liberal observation. Wow, that needs to be changed. We need the balance. But because it's not tempered, you know, we have these kids that are just wide the fucking open, like going as far left as they possibly can, even at war with their own goddamn genitals. And the old people that should be tempering this, like, all right, I get you feel this way. You can dress how you want. Um, Just maybe think about making any permanent changes, because let me tell you, things change. Things are going to look different when you're 40. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you. Some people are still going to, you know, rebel, go their own way. There's always been rebels. That's fine. But when you got the old people, they're actually saying, yes, and then some. Oh, you're a guy who likes boys? Well, I'll see that and raise you. Maybe you were born in the wrong body and need surgery. we got professors who are fucking raising kids to be more liberal than when they came in. This is not the job of elders. We are in an extremely imbalanced society, and I think this is one of the fundamental imbalances. Um, that's that danger of the left that ties into the danger of communism that I do indeed now think is a danger. The totalitarian government, the authoritarian state. Yeah. Yeah. And the overarching theme, Teresa and I were talking about this, is people taking responsibility. Mm -hmm. Here it is again. Elders, take responsibility for your role in society. You are not meant to be out there dyeing your fucking hair and getting uh, kids to, like, encouraging that they are stunning and brave when they fucking get poisoned and uh, genital, their genitals mutilated and castrated um, and sterilized. That is not your fucking role. You're meant to temper that kind of crazy shit. When I was a kid, we got into some crazy shit. <laughs> and I had old people around me that, you know, generally would kind of try to like, ah, slow me down. I didn't listen a lot. But looking back, I'm really glad they did. Yeah. For whatever influence they had, they were right. I'm 45. I see shit totally different. One of the tattoos I wanted, I don't give a fuck about those tattoos anymore. It seems like a waste of money. <laughs> Many of the clothes I thought would just make me so cool. They wouldn't have. I'd wasted money again, you know? So I don't know that I have much more to say about that, but that was kind of a, an insight I had as I was considering, like, what's happening with my values here? I'm finding myself pitted more and more against the left. Like, what is behind that? Yeah. QAnon. QAnon, yeah. <laughs> oh, and by the way, this whole class trader, like if you don't think that uh, anarchists have been infiltrated by uh, communism and you don't think we're moving in this direction, I fucking like just a few days ago got called a class trader. Me, a class <laughs> trader. I got called this on an anarchist website. Um, and you don't have to work very hard to get called a class trader. Um, the playbook is just playing out again. History, just same old shit. Mm. People uh, pretending like they hate civilization and just strengthening it. It's madness. It's uh, Orwell's three, you know, war is peace, ignorance is bliss. Strength. And what's that one? Oh, I thought ignorance is strength. Ignorance is strength, war is peace, and what was the other one? Something about opposite. Oh, slavery is freedom? Yeah. Yeah. Reversal. That's what Orwell's bringing our attention to. Nothing makes sense. So... Are we good with uh, our episode? Is there anything else you want to say before we wrap up? No, that's good. That's good. Thank you for bearing with us, listeners. Um, our listener write-in 
is was actually a review we got on was it Apple? I don't know. I had to go through a bunch of different stuff to see it, but it's there yeah, on the it, internet. It's weird. You got to search for it, but we we searched for it, and I like this review. I wonder um, if it was deleted <laughs> and like the internet archived it. This has there was no name attached to this, but it was apparently from the UK. So, <clears throat> oh, is that you getting ready to do your accent? Maybe. Okay. Challenge your life. Great podcast, two rubber tramps covering the ABCs of life, anarchism slash Buddhism and anti-civ, as well as everything else, giving their opinions, asking questions, but always challenging you to come up with your own answers. Think of them as the hashtag van life reality show. (laughs) I love that review. I feel like this person gets us. That is kind of what we're striving for. We are trying to bravely explore anything that we find interesting in our lives. We will change our opinions, and we want you to come up with your own answers. If I will say it again, as I've said a hundred times, if you just are changing your views based on what we say alone. Shame on you. Without reflection, without research, you are a moron. We do not want you following (laughs) us. Go away. Um, Go be by yourself for a little bit. Yeah. If you come back, you better come back with a nice donation. Let me tell you that. Ooh. And um, or at least come back with a, a piece of wisdom. Yes, and balance or a dirty joke, and that is balanced <laughs> with uh, you know, the the comment here, the the review with uh, think of them as the hashtag van life reality show. That is also what we're striving for. Let's just keep talking about what's going on because we realize like we're living a life that uh, is different than a lot of people who are listening, and um, we want to give you. I continue. What Natasha? What was her last name? Scott. What Natasha Scott was asking for. We want to give you an honest review and report of what this is like. So those are some of our goals, and I'm really happy that this person in the UK listened to it. It's like nailed it. Indeed, they get it. I was about to say she. I think that was a woman, don't you? I don't know. What's your impression? I'm not a biologist. Gender the fuck out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Not That's not biology. my job. My job is to just talk incessantly in your ear. <laughs> it's got testicles and a penis, but it says it's a she, so it's a biologist. I'm very confused. I don't know. It's a person that wrote a review. That's all I care about. But anyway, you got anything else to say about that review? I don't. Okay. Um, if you have any questions or comments or dirty jokes or naked pictures of uh, women... Um, please write us through our website. Um, what kind of women? Or lurid sex acts, as long as they're interesting. No children. No children. God, no. Um, and at our website, www.escapingsociety.weebly, B as in Bolshevik Revolution, dot com. I think you're supposed to spell out the dot now. Uh, uh, <laughs> dot, D-O-T. Yes. That's for you, Uncle Joe. And we have a Facebook page that, like uh, most of our things, are being neglected. I just don't bother anymore. But feel free to friend me on Facebook. Um, I talk a lot of shit there. And a YouTube channel that's got a lot of videos that we haven't added to in a while, but there's some good ones. Um, Help you with plan ID and stuff like that. Um, We have a donation button. If you have learned anything or been entertained or just feel moved to put some cheese on these crackers, um, please... Give us a donation. Give us a donation anyway. Yeah, smack some cheese on a cracker. You don't need that money. Uh Uh-uh. Yeah, give it away. Give it away. Give it it away. away. Give it away now. (laughs) Um, Am I leaving out anything? 
I don't think so. Okay, well, I've talked enough. Bye.